Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Royal Podcast. I am your frigidly cold host, Kevin Estella. I was just out scouting a property in 35 to 45 degree weather for the past hour and a half, and I am freaking cold. Uh, guys, with me today is a good buddy of mine, uh, someone who you've probably seen on the podcast with Kevin Owens, and probably another podcast, because this is the second one for you today, uh, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, and I'm going to screw up the pronunciation. I'm going to do my best to, to give this Irish name the best pronunciation, but Doc McIlvany. Ocean McIlvany. Very, very good. Ocean McIlvany? Yeah, Ocean McIlvany. Ocean McIlvany. Yeah, very good. McIlvany. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, today's going to be a good one. And actually, the, the current state that I'm in, really frozen, uh, or working on getting frozen, is the topic of discussion. We're going to be talking about cold-related injuries, what happens to the body, heat loss mechanisms and whatnot. And, you know, at the current time that we're recording this, it is the holiday season. So I actually brought in something special. I'm not sure when this is going to uh, be broadcast, but, you know, they say fruitcake lasts forever. So at some point today, I might have to break into that as you're talking. I might have some, you know, it's the finest fruitcake you can get. Um, And I know this is probably going to come out after the holidays, but I guarantee, I mean, this is good till almost June. So by the time you guys are watching this, I probably will have consumed about half of it, but, uh, that will still be okay. So, oh, second podcast, here we go. Um, so let's kind of give everyone a, a bit of a background, um, on you, why we're bringing you in as our medical expert. I mean, you are one of our resident jokers here. You have some of the best storytelling ability I, I know of. But what is your, your medical background, Doc? Yeah, so I mean, like, um, uh, I specialize in respiratory and ICU techniques. MD, PhD from Ireland, come over here. Been working for Fieldcraft for a while now. I've done other things overseas, as you know, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. talk about it on the Understood. podcast. Yep. But I, um, yeah, so uh, I have a little bit of knowledge and... Uh, you know, a bit of experience in what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, MD, PhD. Uh, so the MD, obviously, for those of you that might not know, medical doctor. And the PhD, what was the doctorate in? It was actually in um, COVID nineteen and uh, alpha-nitrous fish. You don't, you don't have to worry about it, man. You know, it's it's just boring stuff. Okay, understood. So, guys, uh, we're going to be talking about cold-related injuries. And listen, I think every one of us has been cold at some point. And from the survival instructor perspective, when I teach cold and how to mitigate the cold, we teach about the different ways that your body loses heat. So some of the big ones, respiration, right? When you walk outside and you breathe in cold air, that cold air is going into your body and cooling you from the inside out. Then there's conduction. Like if this table were cold and if I were to put my hand on the table, I can instantly feel the cold from the table. And then you have perspiration. I think we've all sweat at one point. We stopped moving and it got really cold because we have water and moisture on our body. Uh, then you have convection cooling where the wind blows and it's like, whoa, that wind, that's what I was, that's why I'm freaking cold right now. Uh, when the wind blows, that can also help you lose cold. And then you guys probably also know that like some people are just radiate heat. Well, when you're radiating heat, it means that you're losing heat kind of like when a dog sleeps next to you in your bed, dog is super warm. Well, you can lose body heat that way. Um, and then probably the scariest one is immersion, right? Falling in the water. So that's my perspective when I teach, but something that's often overlooked is what exactly is happening to the body 
when these different things are happening to you? Like, have you ever wondered why you shiver or have you ever wondered why, you know, fingertips and toes get really cold? We're going to do a deep dive into, into those. So what do you think the most common misconception is about cold related injury stock? Well, I suppose that the most common misconception, I suppose, is that um, it, I don't know what people's I challenge you uh, on a one-to-one basis. I don't know what people's knowledge level is on this. Let's pretend like uh, they're a middle school kid, right? They're learning about it for the first time. They they never listen to their parent about, hey, put on a jacket when you go outside. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, like, I, all I can do is say what I think is common sense. And, okay. you know, common sense isn't that common. But, you know, like, the biggest risk to a lot of people, particularly when it's not that cold in North Carolina. But if you're in a place like Utah, for example... Mm-hmm. Uh, Montana, um, in Ireland, you know, where it's nice and cold most of the year, you have to look out for signs of hypothermia. With regards to hypothermia, there are certain basic things. Get yourself out of the cold. If it's freezing mm-hmm. cold, go somewhere warm. Uh, create an external uh, source of heat. How you dress is important. Multiple loose layers, really important. Basically, you know, you don't want to have a situation where you're perspiring a lot, getting that cold, damp, moist kind of scenario, which is going to freeze. Uh, and and also just recognizing the signs of hypothermia as they develop. Like you're talking about shivering there. Shivering is like the first stage of hypothermia. You're shivering, you have a bit of mental confusion, but you're more worried when that person stops shivering because shivering is like a thermoregulation. Uh, it's based your body trying to generate heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hypothermia by definition is when, put it in basic terms, it's when your body is losing more heat than producing it. Uh, you're going to lose more heat through skin than anything else. So when someone stops shaking, th- that means thermoregulation is gone. From there, it only gets worse. From there, you get increased confusion. Uh, and you get things, if people are really cold, they get paradoxical undressing. So they get very confused. They'll feel very warm. They'll feel very hot. And they'll start tearing off layers, even though that's contrary to the scenario they're in. And, of course, if it's profound, you know, they're start- going to start having a very weak pulse uh, very low respiration rate and eventually no respiration rate and go to cardiac and circuitry collapse. So these are the sort of from mild, the shivering, all the way to profound. You know, the you call the paradoxical undressing? Yes. My late mentor used to do search and rescue up in New York and they were going after a guy and they said, hey, this guy has bright red hair. And I remember that detail in the story, bright red hair and he's, he's wearing this, this, this. And he's about this tall, and they ran down the bio of what this guy's going to look like. So they're up on this one mountain, and they're they're in the middle of the night. They see this naked, red-haired guy, and yeah. and my late mentor used to say that they knew he was red-haired because some guys were looking at his head, some guys were working the flashlight up, <laughs> and they saw red other yeah. places. Yeah, um, yeah. But they saw this <laughs> naked man running down the trail in the middle of winter in the dark. Yeah. And they're like, how many naked, red-haired guys could be missing right now? Yeah, I mean, you right? got to be really careful with frostbite. A ginger snap in the real, oh, real term, you know? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, um, uh, yeah. So they ended up tackling the guy. And he, when they eventually asked him, he's like, I felt warm. Yeah. You know, so I guess that's that paradoxical undressing. Yeah. What about this idea? Like, have you ever heard someone say, like, oh, I don't need to put a hat on my my head? And there are some people that say, your body loses the majority of heat through its head. And I'm thinking, like, yes, I have a big head. You said you're a sniper's dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also know that I have a lot more surface area elsewhere. And I think some studies have proven that. Yeah, that's kind of a wives' tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- look, there's certain aspects. There's certain kernels of truth. I mean, like, as I said, through skin, you lose most 
most of uh, you also lose it through respiration as well but through skin is is the most common way to lose heat obviously covering more surface area is better than not covering more sur- surface area but like you're just likely to lose it through having an exposed torso and a and mm-hmm. if, if if the ginger guy had a hat on but nothing else on he'd still be hypothermic you know right right yeah. and the the whole shivering idea the the jackhammering yeah you know, uh, Jerry calls it jackhammering he's like yeah. oh we're, we're doing that how long can a person jackhammer before they go into that stage? Like, it read, it, it read person by person? It's person by person. It's also temperature as well. I mean, like, America can be very, very inhospitable in certain mm-hmm. places. Like, you, you'd wonder why people live out in a place like Alaska during the winter. You know, it's not really meant for <laughs> to, to be inhabited in some places. But, like, um, you know, if you're, if you're getting below, even if, even if you're getting below 31 degrees Fahrenheit, you run the risk of things like frostbite, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, um, as you said yourself, it's person by person. It's also location and the overall temperature, you know? We talk about, like, the most dangerous weather. Yeah. Jerry mentioned it today. Brian Edwards mentioned it today. We're, like, 35 to 45 degrees. Yeah. Not quite frozen. Yeah. Uh, and a slight drizzle and a little bit of wind. Yeah. That to me is a nightmare. Oh, 100%. That's Ireland, actually, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I kind of was trying to like walk yeah, into yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what did you experience when you're in Ireland, like uh, going through medical school and your own personal experience? I know yeah. you're, you're big into the outdoors. Like, talking about that, how do you combat that? How do you bring someone back from that? I mean, you mentioned take them out of the environment, give them something yeah. warm. It's funny, like, we, we actually did a bit of camping there recently, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, it was freezing last night. I was like, it was toasty. It was fine, yeah. you know? No, uh, in all seriousness, though, I mean, common sense things, you know, I mean, like, again, as I said, take them out of the cold environment if you can. Slowly warm them up. Don't try and just shock them with heat, especially if there's aspects of frostbite. I'll talk about it later on. Basic things. Have a a thermal blanket or emergency blanket uh, ready. Use your own body heat to warm the person up. Uh, If you don't have that, like we're in North Carolina at the moment, you have tons of pine straw. Get some pine straw, get in a refuse bag, use that uh, as as, uh, insulation. There are things that you can do to regulate heat that are a bit more advanced. Quite frankly, if your core temperature is really, really low, that's what we have to be more concerned about. Mm -hmm. You know those hand warmers you can get? Yes. Yeah, don't put them on the extremities because you're just going to cause all that coolness to go into the core and cause a massive drop in core temperature. You want to put it, if someone is hypothermic, you want to put it in their neck, chest and groin uh, to maintain the heat there. You know, the extremities are obviously very painful if you have freezing cold extremities Mm -hmm. and they're not being properly perfused. But ultimately, what's going to kill someone is if they don't have a, a... properly supported core temperature you know kevin was talking about that actually before we jumped on this podcast about going through selection seeing guys get super super cold and then they Mm. were told well do jumping jacks flutter kicks and whatnot so can you explain what happens to the body like maybe a little bit more detail if someone is really cold and they're told just run in place do push-ups do burpees like like what happens well see i mean like it really depends i mean obviously i'm not gonna pick faults with the Q course or the instructors mm-hmm. there. But if someone is profoundly hypothermic, probably not a good idea. You want to be give as many supportive measures as you possibly can, which basically means uh, you don't want to be overexerting a person. Also, you don't want them sweating as well, which is uh, another thing, really. Sweat and cold weather is just a horrible mix. That can lead to an awful... That, that'll obviously lead to a lot more cooling than we want. But 
as I said earlier on, the main thing we want to do is keep them warm. Give them your body heat. Put them in, a, in an emergency uh, blanket. Create an external heat source. If they're profoundly hypothermic, their core temperature is really, really low, you can do things like rectal rehydration where you actually warm the water. It's not a fun thing. It's People talk about austere med like they want to do it and then they realize what it actually entails. You don't do that unless you're totally Bear Grylls-esque screwed, you know, with regards to uh, hypothermia. But Re- rectal rehydration. Rectal rehydration works. I mean, like, um, you'd increase... It's actually, funny enough, known as a Murphy's Drip, Irish... Uh, Irish invention, Irish American invention. Um, like Murphy's Law, it can go horribly wrong. No, if you're going to do it, let them know you're going to do it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> what you want to do is you want to get the water itself a little, a few degrees higher than um, you want to get it warm. You want to get it boiling hot for obvious reasons, but you want to get it. I'm trying to get Fahrenheit right here, about 105 to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And you can basically check by putting your elbow into the water. And it's warm, but not scalded. You know it's the right temperature. Uh, you can use a camelback after you boil that water. It can be any water. It can be from the stream. It can be from mm-hmm. anywhere. I'm boiling it for the heat. It doesn't necessarily have to be totally pure, clean water. Put it into your camelback. Obviously, you're going to insert it into the patient. You're going to insert about 10 centimeters pushing the patient onto the left so you go into the sigmoid colon that's really really it's very vascular and it's it's great absorption in that area and then you're just going to lay the fluid on the side of the patient you're going to insulate that with a a couple of jumpers or whatever around the uh, camelback so it doesn't lose temp uh, lose heat and you're just going to allow gravity to do its work you're not going to push that bag because that's a form of torch they did in Abu Ghraib and it's going to ruin your shoes. But I mean, like, you know, you're just going to let that water flow and that'll actually bring up their core temperature significantly in a, in a steer situation. Because you don't want to just give them uh, cold water, cold water, right? No, that's going to cool, cool it off. It, it, funny enough, with hyperthermia, you, you do the opposite. You get cold water and do it that way with a ton of isoelectric um, additives into it. Mm-hmm. You, you can... Hyperthermia and hypothermia are two sides of the same coin. It's just right. a, a mismanagement of your thermal regulation. You know, it's funny you say that there are two sides of the same coin because my late mentor used to say the treatment is exactly the same. Is. But he would break it down by saying remove from the environment, uh, gently rewarm or cool. Yeah. You know, but it was never exaggerated. And it was introduced water and it was either warm or cool, but yeah. it was never the extremes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, again, you mentioned it really well there as well. Like when you're removing them from the environment, it's not just that they're um, getting warmer, it's they're drier as well. You really need to take off like socks are a big one, like wet socks from mm-hmm. marching all the time. Take those off, dry off the feet, make sure they're warm. That's why the loose layer of clothes are better than something that's a bit tighter because you're not going to have a, a thin film of fluid on your body. Yeah. The military uses the acronym uh, COLD, right? So Keep your clothes clean. That's the C. Avoid overheating. Mm-hmm. That's the O. The L is dressed in layers. And then the D is dry. Yeah. You know, so if you just remember those four things, I mean, stay clean. Don't be pig pen. Yeah. Right. Don't overheat. Meaning don't like if I were starting the day, I wouldn't wear this with a heavy backpack and, and go. I'd actually go cold. I'd be bold, cold. Right. Yeah. Early on. Or be, oh, yeah. And you'll warm up yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I'd wear something light like this. And then I'd go off uh, March and I'd be re- relatively warm within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other side of it as well is like, maybe it's an Irish thing, but with camping, everything went into a garbage bag. Socks, jocks, everything else, because inevitably you get soaked. Right. I mean, I'm right. sure it's the same here. 
Yeah. yeah. And I mean, John, who, who works with us here, was talking about how, you know, in America, we tend to like putting everything in stuff sacks. Like, oh, I want to put this in a stuff sack. Yeah. But if you look at some of the old ways that like canvas backpacks were carried, yeah. um, you know, before the days of like sill nylon and all this crazy stuff, they were using like poly, uh, not polyethylene, or maybe it is polyethylene, like plastic bag yeah. liners. Everything got stuffed in there. And yeah. it was easier to put a, a sleeping bag into the bottom of your pack because traditional stuff sacks would make it like a basketball. Yeah. But if you kept it loose, you could push it down and then put stuff on top. But again, that was a different way of, of doing things. Yeah. We, we talked about the, the core. Let's talk about these. Extremities. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so... Like, and while you do that, I'm going to have some pound cake or a yeah, fruit cake because, you know, that, that rectal rehydration, oh, man, that just, like... You just, you just want to, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like... Anytime yeah. anything slightly re- revolving around rectal, you just want to... Rectum damn near killed them, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I got to try this. Yeah. So, sure. all right, so let's talk about extremities. So, a, um, like for example, I mean, like, most people have this experience. They're out co- they're cold, their fingers are blue, or they're numb, mm-hmm. and that's basically your... your uh, if you did a capillary refill, which is just pressing down the top of your finger and releasing, hyperperfusion or basically not a, enough blood getting to your extremities is, is if it doesn't return to its normal color uh, within a, under two seconds, that's hyperperfusion. And that can happen for a number of reasons. Like, for example, we talk about hypothermia in the setting of the cold, but if you've lost a lot of blood mm. or if you've had a structural collapse like a heart attack, you're going to be profoundly hypothermic because your, your blood is what's heating you, you know? It's traveling to every part of your body and it's heating you. Uh, now, what happens is obviously if you don't get enough blood supply to your digits, well, tissue begins to die, you know? And we see that quite frequently with the uh, frostbite. And I've seen that personally overseas, uh, you know, where, where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yep. I mean, like, like it, particularly when you're in really cold, freezing, frigid environments, some people don't even notice it's happening particularly if they have other things preoccupying themselves. Uh, essentially, um, I'm not going to go into the exact pathophysiology because it's a bit complex with regards to frostbite, but any temperature under around 31 degrees Fahrenheit, you're on the risk of frostbite if, you're, if your digits are exposed. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, you're, you, you start to know tingling, pain, then obviously a loss sensation. And when your fingers turn black, I mean, at that point, a lot of the tissues dead now if you start to know it, notice it at the early stages there are things you can do you basically slowly immersing it into warm water is the best thing you can do for frostbite likewise a um using the elbow method to determine mm-hmm. if it's between around 105 and 110 degrees fahrenheit that's a perfect kind of temperature slow immersion uh, into warm water you, you run the risk of reperfusion injuries if you just reheat it suddenly and you just want a nice warm bath for your for your digits or your toes um you'd be very very careful when you're dealing with them as well because you know if it's if it's very far gone uh, most of your digits will auto amputate uh so so a, um, you don't have to cut them off they just come off so i remember taking off a sock one young lad and i was like oh he only has three toes and shake out the sock and then there's Auto ampute. I've never heard of that expression. Yeah. I mean, I know crabs will do that. Like when they're about to die, they start popping legs. Well, you, you, but I didn't know humans can do that. Yeah, they, well, they shouldn't. But I mean, like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something that's ideal here. You know, I mean, like you see it with diabetics and people with peripheral vascular disease. Uh, and it's the same idea. Like basically blood is not getting perfused to those those digits. It'll turn black very much like this microphone or a bruised banana is what I usually look at. If you flick it hard enough, it's going to come off. 
and it's 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 unfortunate it's incredibly painful uh, to a certain point uh, and then when you can't feel any sensation at all well i mean you have absolutely no uh <clears throat> you, no hope of re- recovering that the things that you can do early on are very very useful and it prevents it becoming a serious problem like if you start noticing uh the telltale signs of frostbite early on as i said slow immersion into warm water is the way to go mm-hmm. warming your hands putting them under your armpits groin area it keeps them warm uh, if you don't have access to water uh, but if it's gotten to a point where there's actual tissue damage uh, that's kind of where you're in the realm of either i'm going to have to amputate it for you or it's going to do it itself and you're amputating above the black right yes. where there's still sensation yeah i mean not pleasant no, I mean, like, uh, and it's, it's obviously, like, uh, the particular young fella that I, I was looking after, he was a very young guy. It's pretty disconcerting when you lose three toes and you're only 22, you know? Damn. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> there's obviously warning signs before auto-amputation. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, the capillary refill. Yeah. I know that some of the old survival schools used to say, like, can you touch your individual fingers to your thumb? Yeah. You know, that was, a, that was a big one. We were just talking today on the hike about taking off the sternum strap on a backpack and how when your hands are so damn cold, even getting the the muscular strength to pinch that buckle that normally you could pop easily, like you're there now with like trying to push bone on bone. Yeah. And and it's it's almost impossible. Um, Dexterity goes really quickly as well mm -hmm. when you're cold. I mean, but like you kind of go into a phase called frost nip before you get frostbite. Frost nip is where you have the same kind of symptoms, but no real physical tissue damage. And like, you know, it's it's that tingling, painful sensation. Uh, a lot of people have experienced this before. But if, you, if you're having that sensation, it's prolonged. Like everyone's had that scenario. They just put their hands in their pockets or yeah. open up or go inside. But if it's really prolonged and you have absolutely no way to battle the elements, it could potentially lead to uh, frostbite. Back in the day, I used to hear people say, swing your arms, right? Yeah, like yeah. force the blood back into your, into yeah. your fingertips. Um, and then I know, obviously, before we lose dexterity, my hands get chapped in the yeah. winter time. Chillblains. Yeah. What is it called? Chillblains. Ch- yeah. That's, well, how that does, I, what what causes that? Because like I'll notice like I'll go in and you're I don't, the, I, I don't you get like puckering of the skin and um, they, redness. They crack and yeah, yeah like yeah. sometimes like they'll actually open up and well, like you know, you, you base again like everything is supplied by your blood vessels. You're not getting adequate blood supply. Your skin's gonna suffer as a result of it. Really, your the the most of your heat generated, uh, most of the heat generated in your body is by your heart just pumping, mm-hmm. and that's pumping that warm hot blood all throughout your body. When that stops happening, when you're actually developing frostbite, you're developing little ice crystals in there that are a um, basically causing massive tissue damage. Then eventually you get capillary leakage, uh, you get a lot of other things. I'm not going to go into here, but a uh, basically, I mean, once you are not able to properly thermoregulate your body, you're in serious trouble. And you can see why a lot of people die in training exercise, particularly like not so much in the American special operations community, but you see it with the British with um, the, the SES have uh, a drill out in the Welsh mountainside where you know a lot of people are exposed to the elements. Quite a number of people die of hypothermia. I mean, there's a certain point where you're like, we want to push people, but that's stupid. I mean, you shouldn't, you should, uh, have common sense to recognize that you're pushing someone far too far and uh, expose them to the elements, which are, is not a smart idea. You know? Man. Um, now, okay. So you, you just said that the body is producing all the heat, but that 
your body is able to produce that because of nutrition. Yeah. Right. So now calorie, if I remember correctly from my science days, it's the, the amount of heat that's required to raise one gram of water, one degree. Yeah. Am I correct on that's that? That's right, yeah, yeah, you know, Not bad for, for an Asian yeah. that yeah, is yeah. a history English guy, not, yeah, a, yeah. not a math, not math a, science guy. My God. So, uh, I know, right? Um, <laughs> also a better driver than most Asians. Hey, look, uh, better driver than some Irish people. You, I, you, you've seen me. You've seen me go with yeah. my Lincoln. Oh, that it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now, food. Um, let's talk about food and drink. What you should consume if you want to, like, what would be the best nutrition in your in your mind? Would it be... A lot of carbohydrates, a lot of protein, a lot of fat. Like if, if you could choose a diet for someone going into the cold, what would you say is like, hey, watch out for this or have more of that? Like, like to be honest, I mean, you need a bit of a mix of mm-hmm. all of them, really. Yeah. I mean, carbs are great, though, because you want to load on as many carbs as you can. You're going to burn through that pretty quickly. You know, I hate to say it, but like, you know, a hot meal, not only does it help with the guards' thermoregulation, but it's also the fact that improved morale massively like you know eating a cold emery is miserable <laughs> it's miserable i've done it it's miserable yeah it's not a nice meal to begin with you know um you don't want to bite into that cold ham steak oh no no it's, it's it, it was at the um it's a mexican dish they have in it it's like cheese and all uh, cheese bean burrito or something mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's not good when it's hot never mind when it's cold but ultimately uh yeah no i mean like uh you want to you want to get as many carbs in there as possible uh, you, basically, you're going to burn through all that. Uh, you're going to use it as energy. Um, but you need a good mix. Is there a risk of having too much salt in the winter? I don't really think that... Well, to be honest, I'm sure there probably is. There's probably some uh, scientific studies on this. But ultimately, in the acute scenario where you're just freezing, like if I saw something with a high sodium content, I wouldn't care if I'd have eaten it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about that, really. I wouldn't be massively concerned about salt or sugar intake rather than just trying to get those carbs into me. Yeah, just calories. Just calories. get them in. Yeah. Now, what about beverages? Um, yeah. Caffeine. Yeah, that's a really good good point. You want a warm beverage? One thing I... I there's a lot of people who would be saying, like, you, you want a warm beverage, right? Sip a warm beverage. Lots of sugar. Caffeine isn't the worst thing in the world. The one thing that is really bad is alcohol. People have mm-hmm. this misconception that... Alcohol warms you up and actually causes vasodilation isn't particularly helpful in, in some scenarios. It's just like, it just doesn't help. I mean, like it's, I would avoid alcohol if I could. Vasodilation happens when your blood vessels get closer to the surface of your skin and you lose more heat that way. It's, it's basically um, when you're really, really hot, you can see when you're sweating, you see veins popping out of someone's hands. When you're really cold, you can't see the veins. Mm-hmm. Uh, vasoconstriction is just a way of your body trying to regulate its heat. Alcohol is kind of counteracting that to a, to a it, certain degree. And it's also a depressant, right? Depressant so and it now, makes you bleed more. <laughs> so. Yeah. So like now in the middle of winter when there's no sunlight, you're not getting vitamin D, yeah. you're also getting colder yeah. and you're feeling miserable. And like you said, you're going to bleed a lot. Yeah. It, 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 it's funny that like we really should, shouldn't be that popular in Ireland, but it is. <laughs> it's dark. It's cold. You bleed more with it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. What about tobacco and marijuana? Because those two are used frequently by outdoorsmen, yeah. hunters, fishermen. Hopefully not when they're surrounded by guns, you know, using weed, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, to, like if you talk to any soldier, I mean, like, tobacco is a great way to. It's, it, it basically suppresses appetite. It doesn't really. It, it suppresses appetite. It helps with anxiety. It, ultimately, though, it, it doesn't have uh, any real 
positive properties. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, if it, it takes your mind off something, it takes your mind off something, I guess. Weed, I mean, like, it's been legalized in a lot of the states here in the United States. I'd be very honest, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you see a lot of people talk about the advocacy of uh, medical marijuana. I honestly wouldn't be that supportive of it because of the things that it may be linked to. For example, there's quite a lot of... I can talk about cold weather, right? But what I can say is that it is certainly linked as a cause of effect with uh, mental health issues such as schizophrenia, uh, and that's more causes rather than being just linked to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would be cautious about promoting that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. It's become a very popular drug now in the United States. It's always been a popular drug in the United States, but it's become more um, respectable, I suppose. But... It is kind of funny. It's like the the ads you see for it now are the exact same as the cigarette ads you saw back in the nineteen twenties with the doctor saying one and ten doctors recommending camels. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd be very very cautious about it. There are some studies showing it increased risk of stroke, and there's also other studies that there's a lot of studies showing about the the risk with mental health. So I I, I kind of steer clear from that. Yeah, the the ads in the fifties for Coca Cola. Oh, were yeah. some of my favorite where you got this picture of like the Gerber baby, like picture of health and the yeah. kids smiling, like, like healthy, yeah. good old baby. And right next to it says Coca-Cola will help develop your child's personality. They'll have friends. It's like if a kid doesn't drink Coca-Cola, he's going to be a, a weirdo. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Probably but, someone that's going to probably comment on this video, yeah, you know, yeah, or yeah. whatever. But, uh, look, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate because of what I'm saying with regards Embrace to Embrace it. It, it yeah. keeps you warm, right? Yeah, that was yeah, the line yeah, from, uh, yeah. from Red Dawn. Right? Yeah, yeah. All that hate's gonna burn you up inside, boy. Yeah, yeah. It keeps me warm, right? As he's like carving the yeah, notch yeah, into yeah. the stock. I mean, look, uh, look, uh, look I, I, I'll say this, and like Kevin Owens says this as well. Uh, Kevin, this is the difference. Kevin Owens is a true expert. With, he's like a real <laughs> expert with regards long distance uh, shooting and sniping and all the rest. And he's like, I'm not an expert. It's just based on my experience uh, and my my opinion. Of course, that's also based on like I don't know how many years right. in special operations, but. Look, my opinion on this is based of, you know, my professional opinion um, and the years I put into it and the amount of doing my PhD in, in, uh, in medical science as well, uh, looking at tons and tons of medical literature. So, I mean, like, it's my opinion based on my experiences. It, that might not mean much, but it's what I have to give. You mentioned respiration. Yeah. And, you know... Is there a way that you recommend for people to combat uh, breathing in cold air? As a kid, I remember going out playing in the snow and my mom would put a scarf over my face. And I mean, I was breathing through the scarf and after a while, the moisture in my breath would freeze on the outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, this sucks. And I'd pull it down and then my whole face would get cold. Yeah. Um, Is there a way that you'd recommend to combat that or? Well, you know, they say breathing through your nose because it, heating yes the air i mean like look you're going to be losing it's not it's not so much a um the breathing in it's breathing out you're going to be losing heat anyway when you breathe out um it's just you can't you can't combat that the only mm-hmm. people who aren't breathing are the guys who are already dead from, yeah. from hypothermia so i mean like the best thing you can do is combat the the amount of heat that you lose through your skin and like you know like the old wives tale is to start sent true wear the hat wear the scarf wear multiple layers and um if you are marching long distances, be really careful of sweat uh, and sweat accumulation, particularly in socks. Dry socks are great. You know, I mean, like uh, buying the appropriate kind of gear. I mean, I'm not going to be a guy who's going to flog 
gear mm. that, that that's not necessary for people but like give me an example get, if you're going out and you haven't gone hiking or uh, camping in months make sure that you have the proper sleeping bag if it's if it's for two degrees celsius to 20 degrees celsius and it's currently minus nine you're not gonna have a good time sleeping that night uh, like I made that mistake they're camping it didn't bother <laughs> yeah. me though I was sleeping I was like this is fine it's yeah. t-shirt weather you know that was a good night's sleep I slept uh, from uh, 9 o'clock at night or 9.30 at night until 8 in the morning I've never slept like that no, I, except for outdoors I was only woken up by that big uh, the buck. buck yeah the buck yeah. he was huge you know yeah. let, let's talk about that for a second because I know people can get into a, a jam if they sleep with their mouth underneath their sleeping bag it eventually fills up the loft of the bag with moisture yeah but they do it because their face feels cold. Yeah. And if you look at different clothing from around the world, you'll see the wool rough, not the wool, the the fur rough that's worn, like Siberian yeah. jackets, Eskimo jackets and whatnot. In this country, I think it was a company called Dermatone. I might be off on it. Mm. But they used to sell like a, it almost smelled like Vaseline that people would put on their cheeks. It was like a petroleum. Yes. Okay. okay. What's the story with that? Does it actually work putting like a petroleum based substance on your cheeks? Well, I mean, like you're basically just smearing yourself in fat. But I mean, that's not a bad idea. I suppose, I mean, like in the old days in Ireland, like way back when people didn't have central heating and all that kind of stuff, you'd have old guys who'd like cover themselves in goose fat. Yeah. Bear fat bear here fat, in, yeah. in this country. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like. Those guys, God bless them, wouldn't have a wash for mm-hmm. most of the cold months of the year. And, you know, they kept themselves toasty. Uh, I, like, I, I'm not sure if there is a um, scientific paper on it, but it may, seems to make sense. You're just adding an extra layer, you know. Uh, and it's not it's not basically, as as you said yourself, I mean, like, um, most, uh, the most important thing is that you actually get the appropriate gear, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's, you can cheap out on a lot of things. Uh, I mean, like, we were talking about this with the guards, uh, rifles, you know, I'd rather buy, um, a cheap rifle and a really good scope. You know, it's like, likewise with, with, um, camping, like, you know, there's certain things that you don't need to spend the money on other things that where you're sleeping, keeping warm, that's essential. Right. Good sleeping pad. Yeah. And, and, uh, bring a jet boil, you know, things that, that you can generate heat on you know? quickly. Right. Quickly, and that, yeah. and that was the argument that we were, we were saying, it's like, look, we could build a fire and I, I did heat up my one cup of coffee I had yeah, yeah. over the fire, but it took a lot longer than you just pushing the button on a jet boil. Yeah. Getting I think a jet boil is like, I think of it not only as camp kitchen gear, but like emergency medical gear. Well, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Well, like for example, we're talking about our, our best friend, Rectal rehydration. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, you got to heat that water up somehow. Uh, that's right. I love this stuff, yeah, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, the cake or the... Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> not the rehydration. the cake. Okay. But, I mean, like, I had this scenario with friends of mine uh, in Southern Pines when we had that blackout. Mm-hmm. Like, automatically, like, girl that, I, that I'm uh, dating at the moment, like, I mean, she didn't actually have um, electricity. Yeah, most of her stuff was run by electricity. She didn't have a stove overnight. She didn't have hot water. She didn't have a lot of things. I had... A propane generated heater and uh, a jet boil. I mean, automatically you have warmed the room. Mm-hmm. I have a ton of thermal stuff anyway. And also, I mean, like you have a, a means of making hot water for yourself to clean yourself, as well as a uh, an ability to cook, you know? So on our camping trip, we talked about the blackout scenario and how it was, it was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people, but it also caused a lot of people to get injured because they thought they were using common sense, which we know is not very common. Yeah. 
and they would bring in their gas grills and try to heat the house with the gas grills. I don't think we can continue talking about cold weather injuries if we don't bring up burns, burns, (laughs) but then also the, uh, how do you, how do you even recognize if you're getting carbon monoxide poisoning? Oh God. Well, that's, it is a silent killer for a reason. I mean, like, look, you should have a carbon monoxide alarm, get it checked. Like you get drowsy. That's, that's the problem. You get drowsy, you slip off into a deep, deep sleep and you don't wake up from it. Um, and no odor, right? It's odorless. Yeah. I, I mean, you should get your carbon monoxide. I sound like I'm like doing this for a company now. Get your carbon monoxide alarm checked. Mm-hmm. That's all I can tell you. I mean, you slip into a, you slip into a deep sleep and you don't wake up from it. It's horrific. Uh, the other side of it is as well. I mean, like um, fires and uh, burns. I did see a lot of that. Burns, the way you address that is obviously depends on the extent. Mm-hmm. But by and large, in most packs, packs that we sell here in Fieldcraft, we have basically aqueous solution dressings, like basically a cold kind of gel dressing, which you can wrap over. If you don't have that, uh, saran wrap, is is that cling film here? Saran wrap? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that can actually, the big problem for people who get severe burns, actually they lose a lot of moisture, a lot of hydration. You don't want to cover that with traditional gauze because when it comes to someone like myself, you have a ton of tiny little fibers in there and that's a that's awful for infection. You get tons of terrible infection when you leave tiny little uh, cloth fibers in, in a wound like that. Really you want to do is just wrap it with uh, cling film or saran wrap prevent that uh, moisture from leaving the body and get them to a hospital as quickly as you can. Yeah, one of our, our former associates, uh, also a, a doctor, he said... Oh, oh uh, was it the uh, shaving foam? and Yeah. Uh, yeah, shaving foam and saran wrap. Was it saran wrap? Yeah. Well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's common stuff's common. Uh, I mean, like... Except for sense. Except for sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> but you can improvise an awful lot of things. Like, that's what we teach with our steer med class. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not all fun and rectal rehydration. It, some of it is actual just like how to improvise sutures, how to improvise this, how to improvise things for gunshot wounds, needle decompressions right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. Damn. Yeah, it's fun. What, what were we talking about earlier when we said if you have been a cold-related injury mm-hmm. uh, victim or, or patient, how a second cold related injury will hurt like uh, impact you more like you're more prone to those if you had it once right yeah it really depends on what you like if you've gotten if you've gotten uh, a degree of frostbite related tissue damage like it's it's common sense to expect that that's going to be f- probably the joint or, or or digit that gets affected a lot more frequently and a lot more aggressively the next time around mm-hmm. i mean when you think about it you've you do actually have ice crystals forming in your <laughs> in your blood there it's it's crazy to think about but that'll cause massive damage to the tissue i mean like i'm sure that um the guys here in fieldcraft will bring up images to supplement this podcast but like if you've ever seen frostbite uh, induced tissue damage in digits it's pretty horrific it's like almost like someone's been charred really mm-hmm. jet black so i mean like um if you have anything even close to that tissue damage wise and you get another sort of episode of I would say even frost nip or frostbite, it's going to affect you a lot a lot worse. Jeez. I know that they say that with electrical burns, right? Or electricity. Like mm-hmm. if you your body produces some type of hormone if you get electrocuted and then like it I, I forgot the all the details. I'm not yeah. the medical no, doctor. No, you, you, know, know. <laughs> you learn something new every day. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um now, obviously you're not a vet. No. But are there 
Are there any things that we should be aware of for pets, hmm. like animals, like... Like uh, in cold weather? Or yeah. General? Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember camping with dogs and I was like, damn, that dog must be cold, you know, but they yeah. find their own way. Like they're way more tolerant to the cold than we are. You know? Yeah. Well, they don't sweat the same way we do either. They sweat out of their paws and they pant, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like a, um, like I, I've certainly seen here in North Carolina more overheated dogs than anything else. Like, you, you know, the usual story, some owner leaves it in the backseat of their car with the windows rolled up. Yep. That's a terrible thing to do to an animal, right? But um, cold weather stuff, they're animals as well. They'll freeze to death too, you know. They just have happen to have a all-year-round coat. And dogs are smart enough. They'll try and dig themselves a little hole, bury themselves in it more or less, and keep themselves warm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a vet. I can't tell you what are the warning signs that your dog's getting frostbite. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it's just worthy, like, knowing that it could happen. Oh, like, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so we've been talking primarily about like these are the warning signs for you. These are some things that you should be aware of that could be happening to you. You're obviously a doctor. You have that relationship between you and a patient. If our listeners are listening and they wanted to test someone for like coherence, oh, yes. How could they do that? Yes, we teach this in nearly all of our medical classes. So in a hospital setting, We'd use something called the Glasgow Coma Scale, which is a really convoluted, very intricate and important test. But in a field setting, and I do this myself and I have done it myself, um, we would go through a, an acronym called AVPU, which is alert, response to voice, response to pain, and then totally unresponsive. Okay, so, uh, and it's like with any scenario. Um, bear in mind, it's important to to determine how the level of consciousness with people there's so many different uh, systems in the body that requires mm-hmm. uh, this knowledge. Like, for example, if you see someone unconscious or so- someone who seems to have his eyes closed on the ground, you're not going to immediately go into CPR. First thing you're going to do is say, hi, my name is Kevin uh, in a forceful, loud voice. Uh, are you OK? How are you doing? And if he if eyes open, he said, I'm just having a snooze. You know, you're not going to just pound on his chest, you know. So, I mean, like, first off, is he alert? Like, we're both reasonably alert mm-hmm. you know um does he respond to voice if your eyes were closed and you were slumped against the wall i would announce who i was my intentions and ask if you're okay if he wakes up immediately and says yeah i'm fine don't worry about it he's responsive to voice if he isn't however you're gonna have to elicit a pain response on this guy now this has to be fairly gradual because you're not going to run, run up to a random old guy and just give him a kick you know mm-hmm. so first off you give him a shake uh, basically make sure that, you know, he doesn't have a head and neck injury, so you're not damaging the C-spine, but you give him a reasonable shake, and then you move on. You graduate responses. So you go from there, you go for a nail bed response where you basically get a, a pen or hard object, and you press against the top of the nail bed. It's exceptionally painful, but it's kind of covert, and it doesn't look like you're outright assaulting an elderly citizen, okay? So you exert that pressure, and if, if he pulls his hand away from you, that does mean he's responsive to pain doesn't mean that he has to wake up you just have to figure out if he's responsive for pain or not and response is pulling away from a painful stimulus in failing that we go to a sternal rub now i do this on a lot of people who may have od'd or something like that yeah. you know and basically it's just get you get your knuckles and you rub it up and down against the sternum that's exi- and you don't do it softly you're going to really hurt this person mm-hmm. but it's for their own benefit so you got to be cruel to be kind so that's what you do that's a painful response and if in failing that basically he is unresponsive like at that point, you're saying to yourself, okay, we're going to have to go through our March protocol here. So you're looking at what's causing this, what's going to kill him quickest, and that's what we go through with March. Do, I, do you want me to explain that with uh, what um, it is? Or? 
Yeah, why not? <clears throat> Real quick. Yeah, March, massive hemorrhage, airway, respiration, circulation, um, hypothermia, head injury, you know? So. Man, there, there's just so much to be said about the cold, what it does to the body, and the body responds in weird ways. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the coldest you've ever been? Like, uh, you know, over, over there. Recently? Yeah. Over that there. was the coldest? It was pretty cold towards the end of it. It was getting cold because we were very far east. What was the temperature? Like that 35 to 45 or was uh, it, it was below lower. freezing? It was, it, was like, uh, it was in Celsius. It was like minus nine. Celsius chilly, you know. Coldest I've ever been still to this day was in Alaska doing oh, yeah. a, uh, <laughs> a a float trip in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. This is in August and floating down the Sag River, actually floating north on the Sag River towards uh, uh, Happy Valley Landing Zone. And I remember I had on full rain gear, full slickers. I'm sitting in the front of the raft and I'm getting sprayed. Now I've got full, I've like a puffy jacket on everything, but I could feel the cold through the jacket and I'm jackhammering. And my buddy Mark Knapp, we had a jet boil and I was, as we're floating down the river, heating water, putting it in a canteen, putting that canteen in my body. Yeah. To this day, I have never been so cold in my entire life. Yeah. Um, but when you can't talk, uh, that's, you know, you're pretty damn cold. It was bad when I was like, yeah. and I'm just I'm like, get to the side, get to the yeah. side. And I'm like, I have to do something. Like yeah. I could not, could not yeah, get it, that, that was, as I was saying to you, the other situations where I pulled up the sock and the guy had lost three toes. I mean, it was people, especially when it's damp, you know, yeah. it's wet and it's cold like that you're going to get an awful lot of injuries. You know, I've been running through like the mental checklist this whole time that we've been talking. We've been talking about uh, the ways to, to fight off the cold, the w- ways that your body responds to cold, um, what you do when you're treating a patient. Here's one, because there are a lot of people out there that have families. Yeah. Uh, what about kids? Like they say that like kids are a little bit more resilient than the adults, right? Like they, like I remember being a kid, I could fall out of a tree and I wouldn't break an arm. You know, <laughs> I wake up some mornings now and it's like, I you know, separate my shoulder. So yeah, like, yeah. what about with kids? Any special things you should worry about? Well, in some ways, kids are better patient than adults. I mean, like, um, you know, and I know that most men our age will deny having any problems. Like, oh, That's not true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like <laughs> legs falling off. It's fine. Leave me alone. But kids will actually complain. You want to know, you want a complaining kid because a quiet kid means there's something really wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, as I was saying, that, that the early stages of hypothermia, it's the same with everybody. Like, a kid will be shivering, he'll be cold, he'll announce that I'm shivering, I'm freezing. Yeah. When he stops shivering, that's when you're really worried because that means he's not thermoregulating his body and he's going to get much, much worse. And they generally run warmer than we do, right? Like Kids? Or infants, right? Like Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I suppose you're talking about, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, also the fact is, like, you've let, uh, most mothers are going to be unbelievably protective of their kid. They're going to be wrapping that kid up like a little Eskimo. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, there's not as much surface area to be losing as much uh, heat, you know? So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, by and large, they're in better hands than our own, you know? Man. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, but if you have one final message for the listener to just like, here's my warning, doctor's advice. Yeah. What is it about the cold? Well, it's December, so go to Florida. It's warm there. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be warm here in North yeah, Carolina. It's pretty it, it cold. Is, it is pretty. I think this is warm. But I, I'm, I, I'm still like finally getting that sensation back. Like it was cold this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's warm. It's warm. Here. Maybe it was the, the magical fruit cake right there. That's, that's, it, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. my jam. Yeah. Um, well, guys, listen. There, there's a lot to be said about cold-related injuries. Um, there's a lot to be said about the treatment for cold-related injuries. You can hear. 
some of the different ways that your body can lose the cold from me. But if you're going to learn about what is actually happening to the body, no one better than listening to Doc. Um, if you guys have any questions about the cold, about the courses that we run, whether it's the austere med, the winter survival class, anything like that, please reach out to us on Instagram. Please reach out to us, uh, email, whatever you want to do, and we'll be happy to answer them. But take all of this advice to heart and guys, hopefully you'll stay warmer than I did this morning. Um, Doc, where can people find you? Is, do you want people to find you? Or no. You kind of, no, no, <laughs> no, no, guys, come to North Carolina. Come to North Carolina. Carolina. Do, do the classes. Yeah, That's come, you find come to the class. That's how you find Doc. Yeah, um, you get a doctor's note for going to Florida. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for uh, for tuning in. This is the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, and we'll see you next time.